Well, thank you guys very much. What a good day of worship we've had already. Trey's away on uh, vacation and in some tropical place, I take it. Wearing a bathing suit he's not allowed to wear in the United States, I think. <clears throat> but I'm just kidding. I hope. Um, anyway. Today we're going to be having a look together at the Gospel of John. In the back of that book in the New Testament, uh, John chapter 21, we've been in a series in the book of Ephesians, and we will return to that next week. But for two reasons, I wanted to go to this text today. Uh, First, I want us to take a look at what happens after the resurrection. We've had a lot of build-up to Easter Sunday. We celebrated the risen Savior last week. Um, Churches all over here did. I looked at so many of them, and in splendid fashion, uh, we together exalted the Lord Jesus and held him high and remembered that empty tomb and the power that there is for life and eternity uh, because of that day. And we celebrated the anniversary of that day. Uh, The 1,990th anniversary, I told you that last week, and I saw some of you looking in your phones to double-check me. I think think I'm right, or close, as close as we can be. Uh, 1,990 years ago, the Lord Jesus, at dawn, on a morning, rose from the dead. Never been done before or since. Not that no one's ever risen by the power of God before, but he lives forever. He lives today, and he's in this place. We built up to that. There's so much uh, momentum and so much energy around it. <clears throat> I just wanted to pose the question, what happens after the resurrection? As we walk away from Easter Sunday, what do we do now? Uh, what do the disciples do now that Jesus is raised? Uh, what, what did they do? What is the, the power for living that they experienced? How did they encounter Jesus after he was risen? But the second reason I wanted to go to this text today is because I needed to warn you before next week, uh, next week's sermon. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, and you can look that up if you like and see what it's about, but uh, it has all to do with a sensitive topic, somewhat sensitive, uh, if you have a family or young kids, sexual immorality, and we will be uh, looking at exactly what the Bible says, uh, the The sermon will not be vulgar in any carnal way, but we will examine the the words of Scripture, the intent and the meaning there, and we're going to be talking um, openly about that as far as Scripture permits in this place, and I wanted you to know beforehand if you have young kids uh, to be prepared for that and make your decision. Use your wisdom as a a parent under under God if uh, if you want them to be here or if you don't, or if you do and they need some preparation beforehand, I wanted you to have time for that. If you know other families who are not here today and you think, you know, so-and-so might want to be aware of this, please uh, help, help me and reach out to them. Just text them, call them, let them know, say, hey, Pastor Matthew mentioned this today. You might, if you have questions, call them or you might want to be ready. But I did not want to spring that on, any, <clears throat> on anyone without... Um, you knowing about it first, okay? And so today we're in the Gospel of John, um, and we'll be in, um, in chapter 21, beginning in verse 4. What do we do after the resurrection? Jesus has raised, and 
He's been on the earth, and the Bible says this is the third time that he appeared to the disciples. And let's read it together and just talk about this. Verse 4 of John 21, these words will be on the screen. So read along with me. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. The disciples were fishing. I think the Bible says about 100 yards uh, from the shore. They were out on a boat fishing, having no success. And just as the day was breaking, I mean, if you've ever been awake at dawn, that is a, an intimate time. I mean, you know the quietness and the transition of that hour. You know the, the night animals fall silent and the, the day animals come to life. I mean, it is a magical moment to be awake at dawn. And there is Jesus as the day was breaking, just when light was there to reveal his silhouette on the shore, there he stood on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Why did they not know? It's a good question. Uh, One, they were far away from him. Uh, But but secondly, this is Jesus in his glorified body. Uh, This is the resurrected Jesus. I guarantee you uh, that in time to come, when the, the eastern sky breaks apart, the Lord Jesus comes riding on the clouds to claim back his own. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, the Bible says. And I guarantee that across the street in that cemetery, when those, oh, that old dirt breaks forth, those people, when they go to be with the Lord, are not going to look like those dead bones that were in the ground. And they're not going to look like their cancer-ridden self on the deathbed right before they went there. We will look at them, and and the Bible says we will be known as we were known. We will know that it's them, but in our glorified bodies, there is going to be a difference. We're going to be perfected for eternity. And the Lord Jesus, here in this moment, they didn't recognize him. Don't let that trip you up. Uh, They didn't recognize him because he had been changed by the power of God from death to life. As a matter of reference, there ought to be something to that in our spiritual lives. When we're changed from death to life spiritually, there ought to be a little bit of something unrecognizable about our former selves. And that's going to be our truth when the Lord recomes, returns as well. He said to them, <clears throat> oh, children, he said, he said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. <clears throat> he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You'll recall a similar situation in Luke chapter 5. This has been done already. Uh, similarly, and they would have known this, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now the disciple whom Jesus loved is the disciple John. John, uh, maybe out of humbleness, does not like to refer to himself in the first person. He doesn't call his name John. He, he calls himself uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, third person. Uh, it's just his habit. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. I mean, he lunged for Jesus. He, he, he's going to swim to the shore. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were, not a, they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Question, where did Jesus get his fish? Right? 
answer anywhere he wants, right? This is the Lord Jesus. Don't know where he got it, <clears throat> uh, but he's got a charcoal fire there. I mean, if you can imagine the, the smell of that, uh, the, the, the warmth of that, the glow of that. I mean, Jesus deliberately uh, is inviting them into a very personal, intimate setting. He's got fish, and just, if you ever smelled meat on a grill, I just, I mean, it's, it's inviting, and there he is, prepared for them. <clears throat> He's got this charcoal fire in place, bread, and verse 10, Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, very specific. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Another uh, miraculous sign, if you will. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, <clears throat> when they had finished breakfast, so some time has passed, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than what? Do you love me more than these people love, these other disciples love me? No, I don't think so. Uh, but I think, I think that question is, do you love me more than you love these? These other people, this job that you've got fishing on the sea, uh, th this setting here by the Sea of Tiberias here in, in Galilee where, where you're so familiar, do you love me more than, than all of these and all of this? He zones in on Peter and, and asks him, do, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape, do you agape, do you love me? That's the supreme love in the Greek language. That's the highest love. Do you agape me? Each time Jesus asks this, he uses that word, agape. And each time uh, the apostle Peter responds, he uses a lesser word, the word phileo, where we get the term, uh, it means brotherly love, the, the city of Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love is named after this Greek word, phileo. Do you love me with a supreme love, Peter? Do you love me with the highest love? And each time Peter would say, Lord, I phileo you. There's a brotherhood. There's a kinship. Yes, there's something there. Uh, but he would not respond in kind. I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because he knew he had betrayed the Lord Jesus three times. Remember that? He denied him three times as Jesus was facing his trial and cross. Jesus, or rather, Peter fled from there. I mean, he just denied him, betrayed him, rejected him. Maybe he knows how disingenuous it might seem if he said, yes, I agape you. Yes, I love you with the supreme love. How could he say that? with an honest heart. Maybe that's why he uses that lesser term, love. But in any, any case, he does do it. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? Peter was grieved 
because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I, phileo, phileo, I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times the question comes. Why three times? Because Peter had denied him how many times? Three times. This is, a, this is restorative. Three is a, a number of completeness in God's word, in God's economy. Three represents completeness. And so the rejection of Jesus had been complete in Peter's heart. What a shame. What a disgrace. The apostle here had done this. Peter, the rock, had done this. And Jesus in his mercy Church, please see the mercy of Jesus. Jesus in his mercy here. One, two, three times. Complete rejection, complete restoration. What a, what a savior we have. He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you. You might imagine bonds or chains here, handcuffs. You will stretch out your hands and another <clears throat> will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19 here is a commentary by John, the writer of this. He, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, <clears throat> Jesus said, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? He's talking about him. John's talking about himself here. Jesus says, listen, when you were young, you did whatever you wanted. When you were older, in the days to come, the future for you, you're going to stretch out your hands and you're going to be bound, dressed, and taken where you do not want to go to signify the type of death the apostle Peter would die for the sake of the cross. And in that moment, the, Peter looks and sees John and says, well, here's what he says. <clears throat> he said, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Why, almost as said, why me? Why is this going to happen to me? What about John over here? Jesus said to him, it is, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The, 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 the literal translation from the original language here is you, me, travel. That, that's, that, those would have been the utterances of Jesus on that day. If this man lives a life of luxury, and remains on the earth in, in pleasantness until I come again. What is that to you? You, me, travel. You go where I go. And that's the story. <clears throat> After the resurrection, what happens? What can we expect? Now that Jesus is raised, <clears throat> there are three ways that I want us as a church to be ready today. And here they are. First of all is this. Look for Jesus to show up. After the resurrection, after Easter Sunday is behind us for another year, after the, the, the monumental time of special worship and, and, and choir declaration is all over with, what should we expect? We should expect for Jesus to show up. I love how personal Jesus makes his presence here. 
I mean, it's very personal. Even though he is preeminently powerful, even though he is now dominant over all forces of the ages, even death, hell, and the grave. Uh, this, is, this is the champion here. He comes in like a friend, like a savior. He draws near to them gently in just the way they need him. How is it that they need him? Well, look here. He shows up in their everyday life. What are they doing? Fishing, right? He shows up at their work, on their job site, with their friends. He shows up right where they are. I want you to look for Jesus to show up in your everyday life, at school, at the doctor's office, when you're going for another scan, another scan, uh, when you're with your friends in the lunchroom, when you're at your job and they don't love the Lord <clears throat> like you do. It's a hard place to be. I want you to expect for Jesus to show up right there on the shoreline. I want you to expect that, that the, the dawn of the day is going to come and you don't know what's going to be there, but you see the silhouette of Jesus in your life, in your everyday life. He shows up in the every day, but he reveals himself in ways they would recognize too. How does he do it? Just like he did in Luke chapter 5, the fish and the nets. This was a sign. He showed up in a way that their hearts would know this is Jesus. I want you to look for Jesus to speak to you in ways that he knows that your heart will recognize. <clears throat> but then lastly, he provides for them in their place of need. When they couldn't catch any fish, he made it possible. When they were hungry for breakfast, there it was laid out. When they needed a reminder that all was not lost, that they were not alone, that the risen Savior was not going to walk away into heaven and abandon them, Jesus draws near to them in a very special way. My grandfather was um, in the police department in Chattanooga for 30 years, and he um, rose to the rank of major. He was very proud um, of that. And um, at one point, as a captain, he led the traffic unit, which he loved dearly, and had a motorcycle and kept it polished. Uh, my grandfather, Forrest, uh, Elijah Forrest Vandegrift, had uh, high standards. He used to say to me, all decent people are up by 9 a.m. And now I have to confess to you, I haven't been decent in a long time, uh, <clears throat> by that standard anyway. He said, all decent people are up by 9 a.m. Everything on his uniform was polished and boots and brass and perfect. And uh, he, he liked jewelry. I've never been a jewelry person, but he wore a gold, uh, a gold bracelet and he had a little necklace that he wore. Uh, he was a special guy. But I hear stories about him from the guys who were still living from his traffic unit. They said, on a cold winter day, we were all terrified. We would be up in the traffic office and looking out the window down under the parking lot to see if Captain Vandy would come in uh, on a motorcycle or in the car. Because if he rode the motorcycle, guess what that meant? We all had to ride the, ride the motorcycle too. And on a freezing day, they said they were up there just pleading that he would please come in the car. Uh, it was that kind of, nobody asked any questions. If he was on the, the two-wheeler, then they were going to be on that too. That's just kind of the way things ran there. He was kind of a uh, get it done, a powerful uh, presence, uh, if you will. He had his boots shined always, and uh, sometimes they said he would just leave a shoe shine kit and a can of Brasso on the desk in the squad room, and that signified to everybody, you don't look good enough. By tomorrow, guess what? You need to use those products. Uh, he, 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 would, he would do things like that. They said one day they were gathered off of Germantown Road in Chattanooga, at an old kind of uh, 
clapboard house there, uh, just a rundown place <clears throat> that they knew of, and they would go in there and just hang out, these, these traffic unit guys, and maybe watch a football game or something, and um, they were in there one day, freezing outside. They were just watching the game. They said all of a sudden the front door just <laughs> swung in. There stood Captain Vandy in the, in the doorway just looking at them all. Said he just peeked his head in, looked at them one by one, and walked away. Guess what they didn't do? <laughs> Shut the door and turn the game back on, right? <laughs> but to me, he wasn't that way. To me, it was much different. <clears throat> he paid me five cents per pine cone in his front yard to pick up. I picked up the pine cones at his house, loved it. He had a yellow chair that nobody, you know, that was granddaddy's chair. Nobody sat in that yellow chair. I was allowed to sit in the chair. I burned a hole in the seat of his police car with a, with a spotlight one day by accident. Guess what? Nothing. Right? He's my granddad. He was a deacon at our church and uh, very deacon-like and respected, if you will. And um, I got to be with him in the front yard, mashing his finger. I heard things that were not very, what, deacon-like. There was a closeness there. I got to see both sides of it. I got to see that powerful guy with everything just right and the influence and the, the reverence that he seemed to have in the places that he went. And I might say it was authentic and well-earned. I got to see that and admire that. But also, I got to draw up near to him. I, mean, I got to be close to him, to know him, to joke with him, uh, to not be afraid of him. And here in this moment, let me, hopefully we will see here, the Lord Jesus shows up, not that he has shed his power, not that the power has gone away, he has dominated. And for those who are against him still, for sinners and the forces of hell, he remains that dominant force in all the earth for all time, but for you and me, we have access to that power. And yes, there's a fearsomeness to the risen Lord Jesus, but he comes to us and draws us near just like he does here. What do we expect after the resurrection? I hope you will expect and experience to walk out in the power of God in the places of your everyday life, knowing that not only is he a fearsome and risen and reigning Savior, but that he loves you dearly, that his mercy is abundant, that he wants to be where you're at. Jesus uses his limitless power to be personally present in the life of those that he redeems. And as you step through the days of your life in light of the resurrection, I hope you'll find comfort and confidence in the fact that Jesus is with you. In reality, as a matter of fact, practically, I hope you'll look for him. I hope you'll listen to him. And I hope you will love and respond to his presence. But secondly, expect God's loving mercy. What do we expect? We need to look for Jesus to show up, but we also need to expect God's loving mercy. When they finished breakfast, uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is a merciful act, as we've talked about before. Jesus does something amazing here. He sets out on a total transformation, a total restoration of Simon Peter. 
And in fact, it almost seems as if this whole setup here was just for Simon Peter. Yes, they're all around, but it was Simon who ran to the Lord Jesus, who swam to him. It was Simon who had rejected the Lord Jesus. And after breakfast was over, it's almost as if the whole thing just tunnels in. And it's the Lord and Simon Peter. The rest of the exchange has only to do with him. He's restoring him. He's loving him. He's showing him exactly how dearly he is cared for. It's a setup almost. Trey sent me a message the other day on Facebook and said, hey, I I want you to know you have been tagged in something inappropriate. And I thought, this is a total trick, right? This is Trey trying to lure me into going to Facebook and seeing something that he's put there that's funny. And I went to Facebook, and sure enough, I've been tagged in something very inappropriate uh, by a relative, actually, who, uh, whose account had been hacked. Anyway, bad example. Uh, this is a setup. Uh, the Lord Jesus is, is a setup here with Simon Peter, and he wants to, he wants to bring him to full circle restoration in the love of God. I brought this to you today. This is from my house. Um, We've had this since November 2002. Erica and I bought it on the street in Gatlinburg with some guy hollering out, hey, wood burning or whatever, and just the guy there in the little booth. And uh, we stopped. We'd been married one month, uh, and we uh, got this. It's burned into here. It's, It's carved and burned, the Vandegrift family, 2002. It cracked in two once. It fell and cracked, and a guy at our old church uh, fixed it best he could for us. And so after our fire at our house, the one thing that was on my mind a lot is, wonder if that sign survives. And so I went up there one day in the light of day, and it, it hung on the front porch, and I couldn't see it. I looked around, and there was garbage and dirt and water and soot everywhere, and mashed down in the front flower bed under the mulch and just mashed into the dirt was this old sign. And you can see it's worse for the wear. This is not the right coloring of it. It's covered in smoke. It's, it's beat up. It's weathered. But I pulled it out of there <clears throat> and uh, took it home with me. And I was hoping to find Mark Bremer today and give it to him to see what he can do with it. But guess what I didn't do when I saw that it was down like that? I mean, I, I didn't just say, well, it's ruined. It's muddy now. It's, it's been through a fire now. It's mashed. And it's been stepped on by firefighter boots now, and it's scarred up on the edges. And I don't know if we want that thing anymore. There was no way I was going to do that. This meant more to me than that. It was it's precious to me. I was able to, to get it up out of that squishy old mud and to, to get it clean as, as best I could. I'm going to keep this and treasure it as long as the Lord will allow it to sur- survive for the rest of my life, hopefully, maybe to my kids again. What, what the Lord Jesus does not do when he finds Simon Peter totally ruined, having rejected, just vehemently rejected Jesus, the, the, by the third time that someone questioned him, said, aren't you a follower of Jesus? That guy who's on trial there, that, that guy who's in trouble, aren't, weren't you with him? Jesus rails at the lady. He curses at her and says, I tell you, I am not. He rejected him completely. And the Lord Jesus just doesn't just break him into pieces and leave him there in the dirt. He stoops down and he rescues him up. What can you expect after the resurrection? You can expect the mercy of Jesus. You can expect the loving mercy of God. You're not going to do this thing perfectly. 
If you're a new believer or an old believer, you are not going to walk in following Jesus perfectly. And when you fail, when things don't go right, guess what? I want you to expect the mercy of God. When you decide to follow Jesus with your life, you should not expect that it's all going to go the way you want it to. But you can depend on the merciful patience of a loving Savior to be with you. And you can count on that. But lastly, be ready to follow where Jesus leads. Be ready to follow where Jesus leads. There's so much in this passage that we could get into. But finally, let's just talk about this. Be ready to follow where Jesus leads. Jesus says to Peter, uh, after all this, he says, you follow me. And Jesus says, well, what about this guy? <clears throat> Jesus says, uh, what, is, what is that? If, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I want you to know, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has a personal path for your feet something just for you that he's planned. He has a purpose for your life that matters to his saving work in the world. He's got that for you. Don't hide from that. It may be different than somebody else. You may look at someone else and say, well, why am I called to do this hard thing when he's over here and he doesn't seem to bear that same burden? You follow where Jesus leads you. In my police academy at the, at the police department, we were training young men and a few ladies. And I was 24 years old, and uh, several times a week we had to run uh, along the river and across into downtown Chattanooga. There was one guy in our class that would disappear every time we ran. His name was Tuscany. I can't remember his first name. <clears throat> if I tried, I might. But his name was Tuscany. And we started to realize that on our runs, he was missing. And then along the way, if we weren't fast enough, they would make us stop and do push-ups for a period of time. And we would be down on the ground looking from side to side. And pretty soon, some people started saying, there's no Tuscany here. Where is Tuscany, right? Pretty soon, <clears throat> we were on a run on the way back to the, the, the training center. And uh, somebody saw him come out of a, a, an outdoor public park restroom. On the beginning of the run, Tuscany would run into the restroom and stay there <laughs> until we were coming back from the run. Seven miles, you know, he, he, he would stay there that long. And when we'd come back, he would come out, he'd sneak out as if he had been there the whole time. <clears throat> he was later indicted for aggravated robbery, uh, you might, <clears throat> I might say. But <clears throat> anyway, here's the point. <clears throat> There's no hiding in the restroom when you're a true follower of the Lord Jesus. God has a work for you. After the resurrection, it's not time to take it easy. It's not time to sit back and, on your laurels. It, it, it's not time to, to go hide in the restroom while the rest of God's people are, are laboring in that vineyard, are, are striving for the harvest, are, are trying our best in, these, in this flesh to hold high the Lord Jesus week by week here. There is no hiding in the bathroom when you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter. It does not matter if you may look over here and say, <clears throat> why am I stuck in this crummy job with these people when he's got it good? God has a plan for you right there and a reason for you to be faithful right there. You, me, travel. 
Why is it that I'm struggling in this way when he's got it good? Why am I called to the mission field when, when the call doesn't seem to be everywhere else? You, me, travel. Why am I struggling in my marriage when so-and-so, just they just split up and they're living large in sin now. And it appeals, it looks good to my eyes, but we're struggling trying to make it. Why are we doing that? You travel with Jesus. He's calling you. Instead of fixating on circumstances, try tracing the footprints of Jesus wherever God has placed you and set your feet behind his. There is a cost to following, but friend, you'll find that you are never nearer to God than when you go where he leads. And that's the truth. You'll find it to be so. And so today after the resurrection, are you ready to walk in the light of the risen Savior? Are you ready to walk there? This means dwelling in the presence of Jesus. It means receiving the restoring mercy of Jesus for our weakness. It means walking in obedience to Jesus wherever his journey takes us. Are you ready for that this morning? Why don't you tell the Lord about it and see what he does in your life? Let me pray for us. Just a moment, I'd like to give you a chance to respond. Sometimes the big days, holidays, the big celebrations are a lot. But in the quiet dawn places after that, the Lord speaks to you. Maybe he's done that to you this week or this morning. Maybe you'd take the chance to come back to the Lord, to return to him as we read this morning from Isaiah to find that he is, he's there to pardon abundantly, that he loves you dearly. He's not just a mighty savior and a powerful dominating force. He's your friend. He's the lover of your soul. He has watched you and followed you through ups and downs, through sin and shame, and he loves you still. When you walk with him, when you do something different, different today than what you've been doing, Maybe you'll come for salvation this morning or the time of prayer, personal prayer, or prayer with me. I'll be here. Maybe you come for church membership today or baptism, any other thing. We're here for, for you. And I promise you, even more so, God is here this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God and for trusting this to us. I pray that we have made a difference today in your people and that the Lord Jesus will have been exalted as he desires and deserves. And we pray that you'll not leave us the same, but change us, Father, for your glory, that we will really know you and what it means to walk in the aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us to be a faithful people who are tender and receptive when you decide to change something in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, I do welcome you to respond. <laughs>